Hello, and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I want to do a land acknowledgement. I live in Portland, Oregon, Multnomah County. I am on the unceded territory of the Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Cowlitz Bands of Chinook, Tualatin, Kalapuya, Malala, and many other tribes that made their homes on the Columbia River. I thought I'd start by painting a picture of where I am. Normally, I'm sitting on my bed, the dogs are in the room, and it's pretty cozy. But since Christmas, I have started to come down into my office again. I wasn't using my office as much because the internet was so bad. So I was using upstairs, but then Todd would be in his class doing music and um, (laughs) there was a lot of drums and singing. So that also became hard. So I'm trying it in my office again. I also have things that are important to me in my office. I have um, a cedar smudge that I made over the Christmas holidays. I have pictures that my daughters made for me, things that are really special to me, things um, that I picked up in Uzbekistan when I was there, a picture of me in Africa. It's sort of an altar. And I love the idea of an altar, um, a ritual space. And I know that for Christians, that might be um, a little tricky because of how you were raised. So if it's tricky for you, you can look at it more like a centering space, a space where there are things in front of you, a particular area that you've set aside with things that are meaningful and centering to you. It might be a river rock, it might be succulents, it might be a photo of grandparents, it might be all of those things, and and some candles or incense, a place where you can come and be fully present with yourself and be surrounded by things that give you courage or bring peace to your heart space, whatever it is. So while I'm talking to you, I'm looking at these things. I'm looking at a sunflower that my daughter painted for me. I'm looking at this piece of cedar log that I brought back from a hike. I'm looking at a candle that I just got. I'm looking at um, a beautiful little wooden... I don't even know what it is that just a little wooden thing that says, I love us that I got from my dear friend, Kelly, who's also been on the podcast. So you can call it an altar. You can call it a special place, whatever it is. Um, It doesn't take a lot of space to just carve out. It's like what we've been talking about with time and with self-care or meditation. It's carving out a moment, carving out a tiny section. If you don't live in a very big place, you could even put it in a drawer or a box, something that is all you and all things that are special to you 
or evocative of, you know, grounding or hope or whatever. It's up to you. What makes you feel good? What makes you centered down? And so I just, I thought I'd paint that picture so you know where I'm at. I don't know where you're at today. Um, the last couple of days has been really brutal for me on a American front, the United States, um, and on a personal front. And I'm not going to get into that, but I, I am going to get into sort of going back maybe to things that we have talked about before, but also from, I, I don't know if I would even dare call it a fresh perspective because I'm in the thick of it right now. But what to do or what can be done in the thick of grief and trauma and no end in sight. And I also, as somebody that's in the middle of their own grief right now, I want to say that, you know, these are working for me in the moment. I don't know what tonight's going to be like. I don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. So they're not the answer. I never claim to have the answer. I just am saying it is good to have things that we can draw from, like the altar. I didn't even set up to have an altar. It was just my windowsill in my office that has all of these things that I love and are special to me. And those things remind me of who I am, who I've been, and who I'm becoming. And that's important because when we are in grief, when we're in loss, it is really important to be reminded of who we really are because I think what can happen is we can get sucked into this belief that we're not really who we think we are. And for the last couple of days, I have just been having my own mantra in my head, which I've, I've said that I use my mantras a lot, um, which is why I'm making them, but I'm also making them for you in the hopes that they will bring meaning or stability or centering or hope to you. And the mantra that I keep returning to is, I am alive and that's enough. And then I keep having this conversation with myself where I go, but it doesn't feel like enough. I am alive and that's enough, but it doesn't feel like it's enough. So I'm holding that tension of talking myself through something that I'm not through yet. And I don't know when I'll be through I don't know how long the journey of this grief is going to go on. This uncertainty, it's a combination of many things, which I know is not unique to, to me. And I know it's not unique to any of us right now. I think that's the 
the magnifying glass that is on the world right now is all of the things that we have hidden and used to get ourselves through that maybe we have shame around or we know aren't really helping, but they're working for the time being, or they were working for the time being, whatever it is, um, whatever we are medicating with. Um, During the pandemic and all of the other onslaughts, um, you know, at least in the United States that people are facing, the pressures that people are under, those things what is the word I'm looking for? It's like we were able to maybe disguise and use it when we needed it, like denial or um, I don't know, fill in the blank with whatever you medicate with. And then in the pandemic, we go to those things more because we're feeling more fragile. We're feeling more vulnerable. And so we go to those things that sort of worked to tide us over in the past and they're not working anymore. And then shame comes in and says, what the hell are you doing? You piece of shit, whatever you hear. And um, we've been in this now a long time. And I think that that's made this overexposure to what's happening on our world make those things come to the surface that we were able to kind of keep at bay or maybe not use as much. And medicating is not wrong. It's not bad. It's, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. I think what happens and where shame really comes in is this idea that we need to keep it a secret. It's in the secret that those things, that shame takes hold and takes root. And and so then what do we do? Because the things that we did to kind of get us through and maybe we didn't do very often now aren't working or now people know about. And so now we feel ashamed of. And it's a cycle. And then we're not able to live in the integrity that we want to live in as human. We want to be honest with ourselves. And when we are leaning on things that by their very nature need the secret, then we're fooling ourselves and we're living not in integrity with ourselves. Or the people that you're that are in your life, you know, maybe you're noticing the people that you're close to and that you rely on are doing things that you didn't notice before, that they were able to keep kind of under lock and key or um, under the radar. And maybe you knew that sometimes they you know, disappeared for a few days and, and then would come back and kind of, you know, be okay again, or at least seem okay again. 
Um, and now the people that isolate, you know, are disappearing for longer or <sighs> it's just a shit show out here, people. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. And I also don't want to leave you hopeless and in despair because I'm not in despair. I just think, you know, the, the scene where in star Wars, where this is where I shouldn't use, um, movie imagery because I never get it right. I don't know what anything is called where Han and Luke and Leia, uh, and I think even Chewbacca get put in that garbage crusher. And not only is there a monster down there, but the walls get closer and closer and closer. It's a trope that's used a lot. I think it's also used in an, in, in an Indiana Jones movie. But that's what it feels like now. And I think the garbage compactor is a really good analogy because you see in that image when the walls get pressed in, the garbage isn't disappearing. It's actually coming up and surrounding you. And that's kind of what it feels like. The garbage that people do to survive, that they do to themselves, they can't keep, you know, hidden and underneath anymore, that it's coming up and it's not just getting on them, the stench and the old food and the bones and the, you know, the leakage. That's a terrible word. Um, but it's getting on everybody that's down in the garbage compactor with them. You see it in our country. It's not a surprise to any POC indigenous um, queer folks. It might be a surprise to some white people. Um, just the disparity that exists when the government can treat some people one way all of the time. And then another group of people um, completely different in an even more stressful and terrifying situation. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's been in existence a long time. And because of the pressure cooker that we're in as a country, the people that have been able to not see it, look at it, acknowledge it, um, reckon with their white supremacy, I'm sure they're still able to not reckon with it, but um, it should be harder for them to not see it. And then just on a personal level for myself, um, trying to hold myself together and let myself fall apart at the same time. So when something, when I'm going through something hard, one of the things that I tend to do and has been, you know, probably a form of denial doesn't sound very comforting, so I don't know why I would do it, but I'm a human, so 
one of the things that I tend to do if I'm going through something that maybe somebody else did to me or happened to me, but I really wasn't at fault in the situation, is I turn that in on myself. And it doesn't stay with the person or the organization that actually did the damage. It goes internal on me. I do it to myself. Um, the other person or organization doesn't have to do it. I, I take care of it for them. I call myself a piece of shit and I look at myself as a failure and a fraud and it hits all of those things that I believed about myself. That has been my go-to. Well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to work really hard in the situation I am to put the fault where the fault belongs. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not willing to own my part in anything. That just means until my part gets discovered, I'm not owning their shit for them. And I'm not going to put myself in a position where I enable or minimize or beat myself up for something that I did not do. And that is difficult when you are in a situation that feels like trauma or broken trust or disillusionment to not turn it in on yourselves or turn it in on somebody else. So usually it goes both both ways or at least what I would say most of the time you are either somebody that brutalizes yourself internally or you're somebody that then turns it out on other people. You might be a person that does both. Um, and that can happen too when we, um, when we beat ourselves up and we talk about, about ourselves in a terrible way. When we don't extend ourselves loving kindness, it is really hard to then not turn around and put that on other people when we don't even know we're doing it. It just sloshes out all over the place. So I am working really hard to turn to myself and say, you didn't do anything wrong. You will own it if you did. This doesn't mean you're a failure. This doesn't mean you're a fraud. You are worth loving. You are enough. All of the things. And on a regular basis. So this is not like I wake up in the morning like going through that and then that's enough for the day. It is all during the day at different times during the day. Because once is not enough right now. I have to be reminded, and I am the one that can do the reminding. It starts with me. If you saw my mantra from last week, it was, I complete me. And I know that in itself, it could be problematic for some people um, because you could read into it that there isn't work to do or anything like that. And that's not what I mean. But loving myself has to start with me. Speaking myself 
into a place I want to be has to start with me. And I know it's complicated because I come from lots of negative self-talk and parents who could not speak life and hope and encouragement to me and empower me. And it has taken me a long time to learn how to do that. And it does not come naturally to me. I have to stop myself and say, okay, I hear where you're going with that in your self-talk. And I know why you feel that way. And still, you are enough. And still, you are worth loving. And still, you're not a fraud. And and it just, it's all day, every day, I'm taking myself self on a lot of walks. I'm speaking life into myself because I can. And because I've taught myself how to do that over the course of 20 odd years. And you can do that too. And I know in the beginning, it feels, it can feel, um, silly or awkward or forced. And it has to start with the silly, awkward, forced, because it has to start somewhere and it has to start with speaking your wholeness into existence. Yes, it'd be great if everybody around us could do that for us, but at the same time, no, because then we are always dependent on somebody else giving us value and worth. And I want to give myself value and worth. And nature helps me, and this um, altar helps me, and taking bubble baths, and breathing, it all helps me. And if I don't have any of those things, I still want to tell myself I'm enough. I still want to love myself. And it's hard. It's really, really hard when you are in the onslaught. No one gets out of this life unscathed. I was talking to um, my daughter today, and we were just talking about how you know, she was raised with parents that value emotional intelligence and encourage therapy and had been in therapy and still you don't come out of life unscathed. Yes, some of us have more scathed <laughs> scathed than that than the rest of us, than the rest of people. Some of us come out of it with, you know, amazing parents and stability and access to things that other people have a really difficult time getting access to. But none of us come out of this unscathed. And I'd like to say I wish it was different. I mean, yeah, I wish there was less scathing. Um, I think the world would be a better place if um, all of us could deal with loving ourselves on a continual and concerted and intentional basis 
because the world would be different if we were able to do that. And still, there would be scathing. <laughs> sure, I'm not using that word right, but it feels good to me, so I'm just going to stick with it. We will have trauma. We will have pain and loss and grief. It just is the way the world works and humanity works. We're, we're fragile. We're in flesh and skin, which makes us susceptible to the pain of the world. And we're emotional. And to live without those things that make us fully human, yeah, maybe we wouldn't have scathing, but we also wouldn't be living. And all of this is the boiling pot of, of life, the stew of life. And so as I hold this tension in myself, and I'm sure you're holding your own tensions, I'm looking for other ways, as I usually do, to hold myself together while also letting myself fall apart. And the ways I hold myself together are my altar, ritual, walks, nature, breathing, mantras, meditation, those trauma relief tools that I've taught you. Um, another thing that I learned recently um, is through uh, this yoga YouTube channel that I'm a part of called Yoga with Adrian. And she taught the other day Ujjayi breath. I hope I'm saying that right. And it's the breath of sounds like the ocean when you do it. And there is something so grounding and centering in that breath. And um, so I'm going to, I'm a novice. So keep that in mind. You can look up Ujjayi breath and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but you take a deep breath through your nose. And remember, like I might have sound with mine. If you're sitting in your room or in your car or walking your dogs or yourself, it may not have any kind of sound. Um, so there's not a right sound and a wrong sound. There's just a sound that you make when you breathe in through your nose. And when you breathe out, you breathe out through your nose, sort of making an ocean breath. And the way she described it is relax your shoulders, relax your neck, and make sure your jaw is relaxed. And so you're breathing in through your nose. And then you kind of, I'll show you first. How about that? Breathe in through your nose, and then you're going to sigh out through your mouth. So here we go. So do that two more times. So you kind of feel what that feels like. 
So now you're going to breathe in through your nose. And this time, as you breathe out, you're going to have your lips pressed together. So your mouth will not be open. You'll be breathing out your nose. So breathe in through your nose and out through your nose, sort of making that sighing sound. Here we go. Mm. Mm. And now, without the sighing sound, just breathing in through your nose, keeping your jaw loose, your lips closed. So breathe in through your nose, out through your nose, keeping what I would call like an open, an open jaw and open mouth, but it's actually not open. <laughs> so very technical language here. So in through your nose, out through your nose. Long breath in, long breath out. Sometimes when I do it, I can get a little lightheaded if I'm because I'm not used to doing it. And so if you want to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth at some point to kind of regroup your breath and then return to it, I find it very centering. I think also one of the things I do when I do it is I'm leaning a little bit forward when I breathe in. So Leaning forward on the in-breath. And then I let, as I sigh out, my shoulders let down and my belly goes out. So here we go. And that's my best ujjayi breath. So that's something that I'm doing to keep myself centered. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, try to take care of yourself. Try to not lean into shame. And as shame creeps its ugly head, call it out or notice it. When I notice it and call it out, I, I just say, no, or you don't have a place here, or I'm not listening to you. And you don't even have to call it out. It can just be something that you notice, like, oh, that's shame again. And just kind of pivot your inner stance towards yourself. You can feel guilty for something and say sorry for it. Um, guilt and shame are different. And guilt, guilt in, in the sense of the difference between what guilt does in us and what shame does in us is 
you can feel bad about something you did. And hopefully if you can make it right, um, make it right. And it shouldn't have the same kind of I am wrong and bad effect to it. So if it has the I am wrong and bad effect with it or language with it, that's probably shame. And shame has no place in us. It doesn't get us. It doesn't get to be a part. Yes, it, it, you know, it raises its ugly head and then we have to notice it and take care of ourselves. But we want to set ourselves free from shame. And we want it to release its hold on us so that we can own the things that we need to own and amend the things that we need to amend and give ourselves the love that we need so that we can exist in the world as we're intended to exist in the world. And that's fully human, fully alive, and fully loved. It's not easy, I know. And it's a it's a long path of life. It's forever. The work is forever. And there are times that we can embrace that work and do it wholeheartedly and with you know, fervor, and there are times where we just can't, and that's okay. If you're in a place where you have a little wiggle room of can that you can do and you can try, that's where I'm at, and that's what I'm doing. Remember who you are. The world is a better place because you're in it. You are worth knowing. You are worth loving. You are worth being in this world. Thank you for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. If you want to reach out to me for spiritual direction, I'm currently taking clients. You can find me through my email at angiefatal at gmail. Um, If you have any questions that you want to ask me, you can hit me up there or you can DM me on Angie Fatal Soul Care whatever you want to do. Um, I'm here if you need to talk. And you may not want to, and that's okay too. I just hope that you feel less alone, because I feel less alone talking to you. Take care, everybody.